It's my privilege to bring the word of the Lord tonight from Matthew chapter 2. And this passage, this great passage, speaks about what happened after Christmas. And what happened is really very tragic. It's the account of the slaughter of the innocents, the young boys in the area of Bethlehem, two years old and younger, that were slaughtered by a wicked king. And it seems like a very strange text to follow Christmas. When I first looked at it, it was a sign that Tom asked me to preach today some many weeks ago. I looked at the passage and puzzled. Why? Why would this be the passage that we would cover? It's determined by a liturgical calendar. I had nothing to do with it. Tom had nothing to do with it. This is what is appointed for us to be read tonight. And even as late as this past Sunday, I thought, why this particular passage? Preaching is an odd thing. When, when the preacher prepares, he prepares in trust that God intends a word from this to each individual heart that comes. But there are occasions when that veil is kind of lifted and you begin to see what God's good providence intended. Christmas is not a time when we expect the darkness to strike back. It's a season of light, but we remember that the light shined into darkness. We sing about the little town of Bethlehem, the virgin, the Christ child, angels coming from heaven, rejoicing with shepherds, wise men coming and worshiping this child. But after Christmas, a wicked king sent his soldiers to Bethlehem to take these children from their nursing mothers and run them through with a sword. And Bethlehem was no longer silent. City pierced with the cries of these mothers. Why? What is all of this purpose? Why is it? How do we find comfort? And as I thought about this text, as our beloved elder was taken from us, I realized God intended this for us. This passage speaks about comfort. It's a word that is perfect, I believe, for a grieving church. It will tell us how to find comfort. And we need that, for we have lost a great man. So let's look at the text itself. And it's found in Matthew 2, beginning in verse 13. I want to look at the passage in its entirety, and then I want to reflect on it. As we, as we go through it. The evangelist writes, Now when they had departed, that is, the wise men, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph arises immediately that night. It's like the Exodus itself. They flee. 
from this land that has become spiritually Egypt. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and fled to Egypt, which now ironically is the land of comfort. And he remained there until the death of Herod. And this was done that it might fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt have I called my son. Notice the evangelist tells us that when the prophet speaks, it is the word of God, it is inspired. And the angel of God was sent to prompt the fulfillment of this passage, out of Egypt I have called my son. It was spoken by Hosea, but Matthew is telling us that God spoke through that prophet. The passage tonight is constituted of three parts. This is the first one. It begins with an angel and a dream to Joseph and ends with a verse of Scripture being fulfilled. The last one will have that same pattern. An angel will appear to Joseph in a dream, and that will lead again to a prophecy being fulfilled. And the story in the middle, the next one, about Herod's slaughter of the children, will likewise fulfill a prophecy of Scripture. Then Herod, when he saw he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time he had ascertained from the wise men. This man, Herod, is probably, certainly one of the greatest tyrants in all of history. He ruled from 37 to 4 B.C., his power was the Roman Imperium that stood behind him. And he reigned in a sea of blood, mad king, hated by the Jews. He was an Edomedian. He was a descendant of Esau. And that quarrel between Esau and the Edomians and the Nabataeans and the Jew continues to this very day, the enmity. He was insecure in his throne because he was so hated, and so he would destroy anyone that presented any kind of rivalry or threat. This incident is so insignificant, it's not recorded outside of Scripture. But there are many record, recordings of Herod's slaughters. He, was, he slaughtered many. Five days before he died, a horrible death himself, he, he killed his firstborn son, Antipor. And because he knew that the people would rejoice when he died, and he wanted them to mourn, he summoned all of the most beloved people in Judea and Samaria to his palace in Jericho, where he was dying. And he brought the most beloved, 800 of them, to Jericho, to the Hippodrome, and left orders that on his death they were all to be slaughtered, that the people might actually mourn, because he knew they would not mourn for him. That's the character of this king. So he sent and destroyed all the male children. And you can imagine the heartache of those mothers in Israel. But this was done, we are told, to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. What is it? How is this fulfilling what was spoken by the prophet? 
The voice, the verse, the verse that's cited is from Jeremiah 31. A voice is heard in Ramah, which is in the region of Ephrath of Bethlehem. Weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Strange verse. Why would Matthew think that was fulfilled in this? You see, the, the story, the prophecy of Jeremiah is based on what happens in Genesis 35. Rachel, the beloved wife of Jacob, they were on their way from Ramah to Ephrath, which would become Bethlehem. And she was in labor, about to deliver her second son. This Rachel had been barren and had cried out to Jacob, Give me children, lest I die. And she had her firstborn, when God had mercy on her, Joseph one of the noblest sons of Jacob. And now she has conceived a second son, and she's bringing him forth, but in that childbirth, she will herself die. Very ironic. Give me children, or I die. God will give her the son, and now she will die. And in her cry and her pain of childbirth, which would take her life, she names her son Ben-Oni, the son of my affliction, even though her nursemaid tells her, Rejoice, you have born another son. There is no comfort to her. And so she names him after her affliction. Jacob will take that son, the son of my affliction, and make him Ben-Yamin, Benjamin, the son of my strength, of my right hand. So Jacob will take comfort from Benjamin. It's ironic as I thought about it, Rachel, I don't believe, could never, would never have survived what would happen some years down the road when Joseph, her beloved, her prince of a son, was taken and the story that was delivered to the family was that he had been killed by wild beasts. Never put that together. There is a timing, there is a purpose, even in our deaths, that God intends. So she would not be comforted, the prophet said. Jeremiah said she would not be comforted. That's not said about Rachel in the text. That is said about Jacob when he hears that Joseph, he assumes that Joseph is dead, he refused to be comforted. So Jeremiah attributes that to Rachel in this child's Earth. She was not comforted, even though she had brought forth a child, and that family would bring forth the redemption of the world. But she found no comfort. And so Ramah, the tragedy of Israel, after the, after the captivity, after the Babylonians had taken the city, after they had captured Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, and in Psalm 137, we are told they took the young children of Israel and dashed their heads against the rocks. You see, this happens consistently in Israel's history. Jeremiah awakens Rachel prophetically to cry over these children that were slaughtered in that taking of the city by the Babylonians. 
He arouses her in the spirit of prophecy to weep for the children of Israel because they are no more. She becomes in Israel the Mater Dolorosa, the mother of sorrows. She represents all the sorrows of the mothers of Israel who labored under such grief in order to give us a Redeemer that went all the way back to Genesis 3.15. And now, in the days of Jesus, when that seed of the woman that was first foreseen has now been born, once again, the mothers of Israel will weep and cry out. And so Matthew now will awaken Rachel once again in the spirit of prophecy to weep over these children of Bethlehem. Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. But you see, even in that darkest night in Bethlehem, with the heavens pierced with the cries of Israel's children, Rachel refusing to be comforted, God had appointed comfort for Israel. The first time, Rachel gives birth to a son, a noble prince who will be one of the patriarchs of the tribes of Israel. In the days of Jeremiah, that cry will bring forth another exodus and a deliverance of God's people from the judgment they have fallen under. In the days of Jesus, the cries of those mothers, in that very day, God has given a Savior who will ultimately deliver and redeem Israel and will make death itself to die. That's comfort. So how do we find comfort? in death, particularly the death at Christmas time. I want to give some thought to that. The next story Matthew tells us about is after Herod's death. Verse 19, But when Herod died, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Once again, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. That is, go to the land that is spiritually Egypt, because there he will be the Lamb of God, the Paschal Lamb, whose death will deliver the people of God forever from sin and death. Go to the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life were dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea over the place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. Why was he afraid to go there? When Archelaus took the throne of his father, this family was a hydra, a serpentine hydra. They were all wicked. When Archelaus took the throne of his father to secure his throne, he had 3,000 nobles slaughtered. We hear about that one. Joseph heard about that one, even in Egypt. There were a lot of Jews in Egypt. He heard about that. So no wonder he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, 
so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Matthew is telling us that everything that happened was ordained by God. Everything. All of it. God had said himself, I will put enmity between the seed of the serpent, Herod, and the seed of the woman, Israel, and Christ. And all of that was to fulfill prophecy, because it was through all of that suffering and heartache that God would give us the greatest comfort. He would give us the Son who would give us life and conquer death. So I'm asking, where do we find comfort when we lose our loved ones? How do we find comfort? It seems especially so, doesn't it, at Christmas time? When death intrudes into this promise of life. The passage that comes to my mind is 2 Corinthians 1. And I'd like you to look at that. In five verses, the Apostle Paul will use the word comfort ten times. He's the Apostle of Comfort. If we are to find comfort, surely Paul will show us the way. He writes to this church that had wounded him so deeply. And in this letter, he describes his many sufferings, his afflictions. And then he writes about the comfort he finds in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. What a title. Our Lord is the Father of mercies. Not singular, but plural. He's the Father of mercies. Anyone here need mercy? God is the Father of mercies, and He is the God there it is, of all comfort. Where else will we find comfort but in God himself? He is the Father of all comfort. Who comforts us, Paul says, in all our affliction. Anyone here afflicted? Life is filled with affliction. Jesus promised us affliction. It's his word to us. If they hated me, they will hate you. In this world, our Lord says you will have affliction. That's the word, thlipsis. But if you have affliction, the promise is that God himself will comfort you. The God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Why do you have sorrow? Why do we have sorrows in this life? It's so that we can minister to others in their day of sorrow. No one can comfort you in affliction more than someone who has been through what you are going through. It's the way life is put together. 
And who more than anyone understands how to comfort an affliction than God himself, who is the Father of all mercies, the Father of comfort. That word comfort is interesting. It's the only word I know that's attributed to all three persons of the Trinity. Isn't that interesting? God is the Father of all comfort. Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit. He says, it is necessary for me to go. Because when I go, I will send you the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Paraclete. A Paraclete is someone who comes alongside of you and shares the burden with you. Jesus will send us that Comforter. And John, the evangelist, also speaks of Jesus as the Paraclete. Did you know that? 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. If we sin, in the affliction of our sin, we have what? It's often translated an advocate. We have a comforter. Jesus Christ, who will plead on our behalf to the Father. God, the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all our comforter. And that's the source of where we find our comfort. The reason we have affliction is so that we can be made like God. We can have a heart like God and turn our own personal grief and sorrow into a ministry as we become paracletes, coming alongside those who suffer, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God shows us how to be comforted, how to be encouraged. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. He takes our sorrow and makes it meaningful, purposive. He makes it ministry. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. That's how Paul understood it. If we're afflicted, it's so that we can comfort you. It's for your salvation. There's a word of salvation in this. If anybody is afflicted, Turn to God, who is the Father of all mercy and comfort. My goodness, what an invitation is that? And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. When you patiently endure that rock virtue, that rock foundation, hupomene, to, to endure. It's our word perseverance. You persevere. That's the comfort that you take because it's always connected to hope. Our Lord always connected suffering with the glory that would follow. You have your eye on the glory and you can go through all of the suffering. In the meantime, you can minister to those who are likewise afflicted. Our hope for you is unshaken, he says. For we know that you share in our sufferings. That authenticates their own faith. Their very faith. 
But if you share in our sufferings, the apostle says, you will also share in our comfort. And that's our promise. It's a word, I think, that God gave this community for this day. As we grieve, we are comforted by God's word. The God of all mercies and comfort, by Christ, our comforter and advocate, and by the Holy Spirit, who is our paraclete and comforter. By the way, who is this apostle of comfort? Who wrote this? Paul, the apostle. Anyone see where that goes? Paul is a son of Benjamin, Rachel's son. Rachel refused to be comforted, but God comforted his whole church through a descendant of the son that was born, the son of her affliction gives us comfort by pointing us to Jesus. Father, we thank you that you are the God of all mercies. If anyone here needs mercy, anyone by the ministry of the Spirit under the conviction of sin, Lord, by your Spirit, draw them to yourself. Extend your hands of mercy. Show them that there is salvation in Christ who says, if anyone comes unto me, I will in no wise cast him out. Lord, grant your mercies and grant comfort this Christmas time to your grieving church. For Jesus' sake, amen.